For some reason, periods are still stigmatized and there's a lot of countries and people who don't have access to pads and tampons. Today, we're going to talk all about it. Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome back to the From K to Z podcast. I'm your host, Krenza, and you're tuned into episode six. I hope you all had a great week. My week has been a little hectic. I've just been trying to get everything in order for this next quarter of the year. Can you believe it's already about to be April? I feel like these three months literally flew by, but we still have nine more months to make the most out of the year and, you know, accomplish the goals we set for ourselves at the beginning. After today's episode, there's only two more episodes left of this season, and honestly, I really enjoyed the season so far, and definitely a lot better than the first season, I think. We got a lot of good guests on, got a lot of good insights, good topics, so I look forward to continuing this journey and preparing for season three, which I have more ideas for season three, and I already thought of ways to make the show bigger and better, and you know more guests more topics and um i think at the last episode of the season i will reveal the season three release date so stay tuned for that and you guys know that when i have guests on i don't like to do any long talking and today we actually have two special guests um from the mcmaster chapter of an organization called period and i'll get into who period is and what they do a little bit later in the episode but first for today's origin story, I'm going to be telling the story of how I got my period and when I got my period and that whole story. So to make a long story short, because it's not even really a long story at all, I was one of those girls who always wanted to get my period and I was like the last out of my friend group to get my period. Like I bought you by Kotex pads like way way in advance before i even got my period just to have it there to be prepared and you know those youtube videos i don't know if any of you have seen those youtube videos where like it was like the period supply collection videos where like a girl would show like all her collection of like pads and tampons like i for some reason watched those videos and i for some reason felt like i needed like five different kinds of pads or whatever but i was one of those people i stocked up in pads in way in advance and i was just always thinking I was going to get mine like anytime I had like a little pain in my stomach I always would put a pad on like oh me I'm going to get it now oh me I'm going to get it now I don't know why I was so excited to get mine because now that like I'm older and I'm just like why was I looking forward to this like it just doesn't make sense to me but um I think when I, I was in grade seven when I got it for the first time I don't really remember how old you are in grade seven I want to say you're like maybe 13 like 12 13 I think I was 13 at the time and I finally got it and for some reason I was so excited I didn't have any cramps at all so it just kind of came by surprise one day yeah no cramps and I remember like running out and telling my mom like mom I got my period and I was like so excited for it for some reason I don't really understand why I was like that still puzzles me to this day because nowadays like I dread getting it but yeah and you know as time went on and you know you're in school and obviously you know you still have to go to school when you get your period I started noticing like how taboo periods are and I would start to see like girls you know like hiding their pads and tampons in their sleeve or under their shirt like when it when they were going to the bathroom to like change or whatever and that kind of like seeing that kind of made me start to do the same thing because it's like you know for some reason like no one really ever wants to admit like hey i'm on my period you know but yeah i just started realizing that it's something that girls never really want to talk about openly or because if they did then you wouldn't have to be hiding your pads and tampons you know in your sleep and like periods is something that every girl experiences so we shouldn't have to feel like we have to hide um which i always felt kind of weird but i didn't really pay too much attention to it because it was like you know like whatever to me but you know as I got older you know you start to realize things you start to realize the things that you normalize when you're younger really aren't normal so that's what led me to this episode today um so that was pretty much my origin story it wasn't too much of a story 
Um, have you guys heard of an organization called Period? If not, they are a nonprofit youth field organization that was founded in 2014 by Nadia Okamoto and Vincent Forand. They aim to eliminate period poverty and the stigma surrounding periods, so pretty much everything that I talked about earlier. They have a global network of members who run different chapters throughout different parts of the world to further this global initiative. Annually, they distribute millions of free menstrual products to those in need, which I think is really good because menstrual products are so expensive and it's crazy to me that we, you know, as women even have to pay for them because, you know, we didn't choose to have a period. So I think it's a really good thing that period does. If you want to learn more about them, I will leave their website in the show notes of this episode so you can check them out. But today we are joined by two special guests named Sarah and Jacqueline from the period chapter at McMaster University, which is located in Hamilton, Ontario. Period at McMaster University was established as a chapter of Period the Menstrual Movement in 2019. The chapter was founded by Raisa Ahmed, who was then a fourth-year student at McMaster and deeply passionate about the cause. Since its establishment, Period at McMaster has donated over 200 period packages and organized various fundraisers and educational events. Every year, a group of students from McMaster who are dedicated to achieving menstrual equality lead this club. Sarah Clements is a third-year student at McMaster University in the Psychology, Neuroscience, and Behavior program. This is her third year being a part of Period McMaster, and she is a co-president along with Japlene this year. She was initially introduced to the idea of period poverty in high school after another student started packing parties within the school in coordination with the organization Period Purse. Learning about menstrual inequality and seeing how stigmatized menstruation was, she got involved in high school with leading menstrual product drives and educational campaigns. Her passion to end period poverty continued into university, and she joined the Period McMaster group, where they advocate, educate, and serve the community of Hamilton surrounding menstrual health. Jacqueline Thind is a fourth-year student in the health sciences program at McMaster, and in high school, she was shown a documentary on the challenges that menstruating homeless women experience when they have to decide between buying food or period products. The stories of those homeless women have always stayed with her, and when it came across when she came across Period at McMaster University, she knew she had to be involved. Through her involvement with Period at McMaster in various roles, she has learned about the concepts such as period poverty, stigma surrounding menstruation, and menstrual equity. She was passionate about working with a group of like-minded and motivated individuals to achieve menstrual equity in the Hamilton community. So, before we talk to these ladies, we are going to take a quick intermission and then we'll be back with the interview. Sarah and Jacqueline, welcome to the From K to Z podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having us. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Looking forward to this. You're welcome. Um, it was really important for me to have members from a period chapter come in to educate me and the listeners on period poverty and get to know a bit about what period does as an organization. Because honestly, I wasn't aware of period poverty until like recent years as I got older. So <laughs> Um, walk us through what a period chapter does and what your roles are as co-presidents. Um, so I guess uh, just to get started with what um, period does, um, period is basically an organization that um, works in different ways to combat uh, period poverty and achieve menstrual equity. And that happens through the three main pillars of service, education, and advocacy. There is a bunch of different chapters um, all around the world, particularly in North America, um, that kind of um, it play the same role of period in uh, different cities and um, in different sort of institutions. And um, the chapter that Sarah and I are representing are uh, is the McMaster chapter, so uh, period at McMaster University. And uh, we're both co-presidents. Um, I guess the role of a co-president is just to kind of um, make sure that uh, the club uh, runs smoothly and 
um, all the execs um, are getting the support that they need to play their role within the club and also to make sure um, that uh, what we do aligns with your national day organization. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Um, and like, I guess to add on, um, like our goal as a McMaster period chapter is to like um, demonstrate those three pillars that Jacqueline talks about of education, advocacy and service within the Hamilton community and specifically at McMaster um, to engage with the students at McMaster surrounding um, topics of period poverty and then also just the stigma that surrounds periods and menstruation. And prior to this, I heard you mentioning a packing party. What is a packing party? Yeah, so a packing party is um, something that we run through um, our club. And that's when we usually have fundraisers and raise money so that we purchase menstrual items. Um, And then as a club, we all come together. I know it's been harder with COVID. um, So hopefully we'll be able to do one this semester. But we come together as a club and we have all this menstruation sorry these like period products um and then we package them into bags and then we distribute them to um what whichever organization we're partnering with so this semester and last semester we're partnering with the elizabeth fry center um and so we just donate the period packages that we create from that packing party um to the center yeah that actually sounds like that could be very fun and very very helpful i can definitely see that also seems like a fun opportunity to you know like get involved in like a small way and is it possible for someone who's not a part of the period chapter to you know maybe spend their money and pack like some of their own boxes or how does that work yeah um i think peer packing have period have sort of like packing parties are so fun we usually just have like music playing and just like a bunch of friends coming together to pack period products and i think um just uh, peer poverty is just such a pervasive issue in many places around the world that if someone who's directly not involved with peer wants to come together with their friends and family and their neighbors, whoever, to uh, create a packing party and to create these peer packs, I think they should go ahead and do it. Um, you don't necessarily have to be a part of period to work towards combat combating um Peer poverty. However, um, it does help to have um, sort of an organization of people working towards the same cause. Um, so if there's a school out there that does not yet have a peer chapter, it would be helpful to maybe start one in your own like high school or in your own university, even at a community center, just to see, um, just to have a community of people that are working towards towards the same goal as you, I think it just makes things a lot more fun. And um, also uh, kind of, it's just a great time. Um, Yeah, so I think like if you wanna do it, um, just without being a part of peer, that's great. But if you wanna start your own chapter, that's also something that's really great to look into. Yeah, honestly, I feel like there should be a period chapter in, um, in every school or at least like every main region. Because I remember even like through high school, like you know when you you know you get your period and you have to go to the bathroom during class you're like trying to like hide tampons like up your sleeve hide pads like under your shirt so no one sees so I do not well now that that we're having this conversation I realize that you know I periods have been stigmatized for so long and people have kind of I guess been embarrassed by them like at what point in your life did you realize periods were so stigmatized I think kind of like similar to what you were saying like in high school I never knew what period poverty was I felt like um surrounding periods like same as what you said like I would take a tampon or pad and then like hide it like in my clothes and then go to the washroom and it was just something that like stigmatized and only until someone in my school started a chapter with a different organization um did I realize oh wow yeah like periods are so stigmatized and like I um feel just kind of uncomfortable and just like awkward talking about periods and then also just bringing like like period products to the washroom when it's something that's just so natural um and so I think for me that was the moment when I realized how stigmatized periods were personally absolutely I agree I think um in so many subtle ways it kind of just get in it gets kind of like ingrained into us from a young age so um even when you're learning about like just menstruation 
the human body, like, which is so natural. Um, it, it's usually, I think, in high school, or at least that's the way it was for me. Um, all the girls and the boys were separated. So all the girls would learn about the female uh, body and reproduction, and all the uh, guys would learn about the male body and reproduction. And it was just like very separate. And um, I guess from there, it kind of just becomes the thing where you can only talk to menstruation. Um, you you can only like talk about menstruation with girls and you can only kind of um, expose this topic to, instead of like expose anything that has to do with menstruation only in front of girls. And so I think from that point, it just becomes like stigmatized. It's just something that has to be hidden. Um, and I think since then, it's just kind of been continuing on. And I, have, I haven't really seen any big shift in like people um, encouraging others to just talk about this natural process openly until I came across um, this peer chapter in um, university, actually. So a lot later than Sarah. Yeah, I agree. No one's really talking about periods that much. Like usually if you are talking about periods, it's always usually like an awkward type of conversation that you kind of just want to get out of or people just aren't saying anything at all. And like, yeah, like you said, you guys said it is natural. So why do you think there is such a stigma surrounding periods? I think there's like a few different reasons. Um, I mean, uh, historically, when we think about just like um, periods or just blood in general, uh, there was like a, I, there was like a, there, there has been a fear of blood um, in cultures. And um, it's just become something that's um, very taboo in not just one culture, but in many different cultures around the world. And it's interesting how this one um, sort of natural biological process has just come to be so stigmatized when um, it's something that communities across the world have had to experience since the beginning of time. And um, I think uh, it's interesting though that it has to be that way. And I think one of the main reasons would probably be a lack of education. I mean, it wasn't until the 1950s that um, scientists actually came out and disproved the theory that um, menstrual blood is toxic. Before that, there was this concept of menotoxicity, I believe, where it was believed that menstrual blood was toxic. And that was the reason why um, it was so stigmatized. I think there were literally like researchers from very prestigious universities who uh, made claims such as um, nurses, menstruating nurses that handled flowers, caused the flowers to like die, or that um, when um, animals were um, injected with menstrual blood, the animals died uh, when it was really like the blood being um, infected with like bacteria, not the menstrual blood in itself that killed the animals. And it was these were research studies that were published by very prestigious, esteemed um, institutions. And so um, it wasn't until the 1950s, actually, which is actually quite recent, that um, this theory of mental blood being toxic was disproven. So I think a lot of it just stems from a lack of education, people just spreading rumors and believing rumors that uh, weren't um, sort of um, disproven until recently, which resulted in the stigma just becoming so pervasive in um, societies around the world. Yeah, and I think like a lack of education, um, also like kind of what you're saying, Jacqueline, hugely contributes. Um, I notice often that like even in university, um, many individuals like who don't experience like menstruation in their period um, just have really no clue about like the anatomical like processes of like what's happening in your body. And I think because of that, like lack of education of um, knowing what a period is, um, there's a lack of conversation. And then um, it becomes something that's kind of like awkward or like private to individuals who do experience a period. Um, and I think like in a, in a way, um, this taboo nature surrounding period kind of like internalized like within the individual. Um, and then I think that like it contributes in like a sociological like perspective of like social norms to like stop talking about periods or like to internalize that it's kind of like a private issue. Um, and so I think having more education about what a period is to not just individuals who experience periods, but for like everyone to kind of understand the anatomical um, like processes. And then also just, um, I guess, destigmatizing just the conversation around menstruation. 
Absolutely. And even like, I guess, um, Sarah mentioned like the more like sociocultural aspect of this stigma. Um, There's been like, um, like in 1974, there was like a comparative study of 44 societies that found that the majority of cultures that were surveyed um, around like about their views surrounding menstruation, they discovered that um, in a society that um, was um, w- was more egalitarian, so like the males participated more in like child rearing and procreative activities and in childbirth. Um, they were associated with having fewer taboos surrounding menstruation compared to society where males participated less in procreative activities. So I think um, historically speaking about like the patriarchal society side um, have existed for so long. Um, I, I think that's also something that may have contributed to so much taboo and stigma surrounding menstruation, just um, the fact that um, there there was just like less conversation between um, like males and females about um, about something so natural. That's true, because I feel like in most cases, it's most awkward to discuss periods around males because then I feel like males they tend to be kind of like squeamish and tend to think that it's like really gross even though it is something that's natural but how much of the stigma do you think starts inside an individual's household because sometimes you know you may come from like a family that's not really open with you about periods like some people may get their first period and not even know like what that is absolutely I was one of those people who like got my first period and did not know what that was and I think a lot of it starts from um, the household um, because if at home you're being taught that you need to hide your menstrual products if you're being taught that um, this is a topic that you need to be very quiet about then you are going to feel ashamed of menstruating even though it's such a natural thing um, so I think the household plays such a crucial role and um, it's important for um, growing children to be able to have these conversations with their parents and to be able to learn from them. But um, it's not always possible because um, the parents may come from a cultural background that still stigmatizes menstruation. So I think that's when it's also important to have a really um, so a, a better sort of sex education system at um schools where um, the stigma can be broken down. But I think for the most part, the stigma that created at home is usually emphasized or it's further, uh, uh, it's like further sort of amplified at schools. Because again, like I mentioned, um, oftentimes you'll have like men and women learning about reproduction separately. And um, men won't learn about the female body and females will not learn about the male body. Um, So I think it's um, sort of it starts at home often and it further becomes amplified in the school education system. Yeah, I guess, I guess in my personal experience, like I was lucky that, um, I got my period quite late. Um, and so because of that, like a lot of my friends already were talking about their periods. And so I kind of like understood and, um, like it was coming and like what, it meant to have a period. And I think when I got my period, um, I joined like the chapter in my school that surrounded like period poverty and like menstruation, like education, everything around that. And so I was bringing home like period products and it was just so normal to be like buying so many like um, menstrual items and then bringing them all home and just having boxes of like tampons and pads everywhere and so I think my like brothers and my dad just got kind of like used to just like seeing like oh I'm like pretty open um, about like the club I'm part of and just like um, education surrounding like menstrual health yeah so kind of like a different experience but um yeah, I can't imagine like being younger and having a period and not kind of having that education or those conversations um, and kind of going through the processes of um, what are like a period is like when you're younger and not having an idea of what it means like that your body's like changing. Yeah, me too. I grew up in a household that was super open and I also got my period later than all of my friends. And I, for some reason, I was that girl that was like so excited to get my period. Like I was buying pads and stuff like probably two years before I actually got it, like just waiting for it to come for some reason. And my mom was always open with me. So when I got it, I, I wasn't embarrassed to tell her or anything like that. But 
For my next question, do you think names like Aunt Flo or Shark Week or Time of the Month further perpetuates period stigma be- because people might be uncomfortable calling it a period or a menstrual cycle? Yeah, um, I think just the idea of like our language surrounding saying like Aunt Flo, Shark Week, Time of the Month, stuff like that. Um, I feel like it's kind of like shifting our legend and like hiding kind of what a period actually is. Um, And so I think like I've challenged myself to just kind of like label a period and like menstruation with what it is like I'm on my period or um, saying it for like what it is so that the conversation surrounding like period using like um, terms that like might seem more uncomfortable. Um, But I think we'll, in the long run, help to like destigmatize the idea of what period is. And I also like had different ideas of like, it's not the individual's fault for kind of like feeling uncomfortable um, saying like different terms. I honestly think it's just like a pressure from like society kind of surrounding like what it's okay to talk about. Um, And I think like eventually as our language changes menstruation that, um, like the society pressures will just be changed and it will be okay and normalized to um, just label a period for what it is. Absolutely agree with that. Um, it's um, definitely important for us to understand that menstruation far predates language. Um, and it's interesting how we've used language over time um, as a culture, as a society to just kind of uh, make menstruation such a stigmatized thing when um, it's something that's been around for so long. Um, it's, as Sarah mentioned, it's important for us to just talk more openly about uh, periods. It's not something that we need to, for any reason, be quiet about. It's a very natural process and it does more harm than good to be quiet about it or to, u- to use euphemisms um, to describe um, menstruation. Yeah, I definitely agree. I've always just called it a period just because that's like, I don't know, that's just like what everyone in like my household has always said. So yeah, I grew up definitely just only calling it a period. And yeah, I think if we just keep using that word and calling it for what it is, I feel like people will just be more comfortable and not cringe every time they hear the word period. But yeah, my next question is, what are some things that everyone can do to help eradicate period poverty and end the stigma surrounding periods? I think um, the three pillars of period, uh, the organization are sort of great ways of providing people like options of what they can do um, in order to combat period poverty. So uh, we the three pillars are service, education, and advocacy. Um, so service means distributing period products to anyone in need. So if there's a homeless shelter um, near your home or a women's shelter, products to them they're always almost always in need of some um, they could really use your help in getting products for people who may not be able to access them um, and then the second pillar of education it's about educating yourself and others and in the smallest and easiest way possible uh, you can post on social media about periods menstrual equity and period poverty um, like period national and pretty much all period chapters including ours at mcmaster we're all, all on social media and we constantly post educational content that can be shared with others to spread more awareness about this cause. Um, then there's also advocacy. So if you're interested in law or politics, you can advocate for systematic change for policy and legislation. Um, there's many sort of legislative changes that need to happen to um, improve menstrual equity. Um, I mean, like even currently when we look at um, institutions like schools or or even jails, they don't have accessible period products. Nearly one in seven Canadian girls have either left school early or missed school entirely because they did not have access to period products, which is very concerning. And no one should should have to leave their education because they're menstruating. Um, And jails have really high rates of period poverty, which is concerning because um, the limited natural products there often end up being used as bargaining chips to gain power and control over inmates. Um, And that becomes extremely concerning. In Arizona, for example, there's a limit of 12 pads per month. A typical period lasts between three to eight days. Imagine bleeding for six days or longer. 12 pads are barely enough for a person to change their pad like twice a day. 
Um, so the limit also doesn't take into consideration the differences in levels. Um, and that's just to say that there's so many sort of advocacy, um, there, there's so many changes that need to happen to legislation and how um, we kind of create policies surrounding periods that um, could really use some improvement. And um, if that's something that you're um, interested in, something that you can, uh, you think you can contribute to, it's great way to kind of involved, uh, to get involved with, to improve period equity or menstrual equity. Yeah, and, and kind of under like legislative like changes, um, I having free period products, um, like Jacqueline was saying, like in specifically like prisons and schools, like pretty much anywhere, like is so important. Like just like you have toilet paper, that's free. Um, like having your period is just as natural um, to individuals who menstruate. And so like Ford did say that like Ontario um, would have like 6 million menstrual like items per year to school boards um, for at least like three years. But it's like these initiatives that like in like hopefully companies that can partner um, and provide free products to schools that will just continue because um, kind of just like a personal story. Like I went skiing two days ago and my friends ended up getting her period and none of us had menstrual products on us. And we looked in like the public washrooms, like hotel washrooms. And the only thing that was like provided was like these dispensers where firstly, like they're so overpriced. Like you might be paying like 50 cents, $1 for like one period product. That's like low quality. And then most of the time these dispensers aren't actually like built so the machines don't end up working or like don't end up giving you any period products um and so like my friend had to use like toilet paper to like and like worrying about leaking and everything like that and like this story just like doesn't even compare to like the many other stories where like menstruators don't have access to period products um and have to use like plastic bags or like socks or cloths like anything like that um which can like have like um like health issues in the future and so i think like having free period products is just so essential and important um and so ho hopefully something like legislatively that will just continue um yeah to be provided to people all over canada yeah i agree because there's definitely been instances like in high school where like I got my period unexpectedly and I have to like wrap up, up like a bunch of toilet paper because you know I'm saying come to the bathroom with like anything and yeah those machines like the little like little dispenser things mine at my school was like rusted and I like 25 cents for like you said like a low quality like tampon or something and they were never stocked and I don't think anyone at any point ever stocked them ever yeah and it, it's so sad because like even having those dispensers, it's just kind of like, like if you have them, you should just like refill them. Um, because yeah, there are people who like get their periods and then they don't have anything and then to have to pay and then after to not have them actually be refilled is, it's quite disappointing. Yeah. yeah. And you won't even actually even know if you put your money in and you don't even know if you're actually even going to get anything. So on top of the fact that you lost your money, you're, you still don't have anything to use. So yeah, I definitely agree. But do you think that period products are way too overpriced? 100%. I, I think that um, the cost of period products and like even the fact that in Canada, there's no um, tax on menstrual products anymore, but in many other places in the world and like many states in the US, there is even like period tax, what they call it, which I think is also just crazy. Um, the fact that you're paying so much for these menstrual items when like the idea of period poverty is not having access and having to often like choose between like maybe food to eat, clothes to wear, and then you have to pay for menstrual items. Um, and they're so overpriced and especially in many places like up north and in like indigenous communities, they're just so expensive. Um, and so it's not accessible to everyone. And I know like Jacqueline, you had talked, we talked about this on something else too. Yeah, um, Sarah, I'm so glad you mentioned up north because indigenous communities often have to experience a lot of barriers in just accessing food. Um, and on top of that, they also experience a lot of barriers in accessing 
um, menstrual products, which are just so crucial for everyday life. And um, people have to spend thousands of dollars in their lifetime in their lifetime on menstrual hygiene products. And um, it's just really concerning that uh, we have to spend that much money um, because some people are just not able to afford it. And like Sarah said, end up having to decide between eating food or maintaining their hygiene. And we have to remember that it's not just like when we talk about menstruation, it's not just costly in terms of accessing cured products, but also um, there's um, and th there's also issues that people experience in terms of um accessing uh, well people end up getting damaged clothes or like for example damaged underwear as a result of menstruation that then they have to pay more money to purchase uh, which isn't always successful and on top of that you might have to take days off from work um, because you're in pain from cramps and stuff so the cost of menstruating really does add up and there's not as many social assistance programs to really um, assist a lot of people um, with uh, menstruation and the cost associated with it especially up north yeah i definitely think they're way too expensive like especially for something that we did not choose to get purposely so i feel like it's i definitely think period products should be free yeah and i think i just want to add like in addition to thinking about making period products free i think there also needs to be there need to be like better reusable sort of period products um, or like environmentally friendly period products because um, and it, it is sort of like uh, creating pads and tampons or, or disposable period products does kind of um, cost a lot to the environment um, and it fills up the landfills quite quickly and it's also uh, more expensive than sort of investing in reusable pure products such as a diva cup or a um, reusable pad um, it's definitely uh, which are um, economically and environmentally more friendly so um, we can also sort of raise awareness about those products in especially in communities around the world where um, pads and tampons may not be as accessible yeah so many like pads and tampons can take like hundreds of years like decompose um and then more like environmentally friendly options sometimes are just too expensive and so you kind of have this like trade-off of um you need access to like period products but so companies providing period products that are still like economically like friendly to um buyers so that you are able to purchase these items that are better for the environment. Yeah, I agree. I also think that there should be more education on the more environmentally friendly options like a Diva Cup. Like to me, a Diva Cup seems very like daunting. So I think if they if there was more education on, you know, Diva Cups and stuff like that, like the same way they talk about pads and tampons, I feel like that could be very helpful. Absolutely. And speaking of like more sort of education on it and sort of things that people can do in their own time, uh, there is this organization at McMaster Shack. It's like the Student Wellness Center and um, they've done amazing work. And I know that they held this one uh, workshop lately where um, people came in and created their own cloth pads that were reusable. Um, and it was again just like a packing party was a great time just creating your own cloth pad and being able to reuse it um so i think just kind of having those little initiatives especially um, in communities where peer products are not as accessible just it, it, giving them the ability to create their cloth pads um, can go a long way in um, providing them menstrual hygiene and um, just kind of um, at the same time, making sure that it's economically friendly as well, because it, it might be expensive in the beginning, but once we get over that initial cost, um, then it's a little bit cheaper in that um, they won't have to purchase as many products per month. Yeah, I was just going to say that in the long run, it ends up kind of being the more cost effective option because they won't have to, you know, like you said, keep repurchasing every single month. So like we were talking about earlier with high school and how a lot of times sometimes the stigma can, you know, increase in high school. What is something that you think like high school students and even like teenagers can do to encourage period positivity, maybe like in, within their friend group or even if it's like supporting a friend who might not have, you know, who might be more uncomfortable discussing periods or didn't grow up in a household that's comfortable talking about periods? 
Yeah, I think like normalizing just conversations about like your period, kind of like what's happening in your body. Um, and I think just like based on my personal experience of like feeling kind of stigmatized and like asking for products, buying them or like bringing like menstrual items to the washroom, just like being bold and like asking for them, buying them and then like just, you know, like holding your mentor item while you're going to the washroom and not like hiding it. And like these actions can feel uncomfortable, but I think like the more that they're normalized and the more you like feel empowered and like, yeah, I have a period and um, it's not something that like I have to hide. It's something that's so um, like, it's just natural and it'll become less taboo like over time. And so um I think that that would really help encourage period positivity. I absolutely agree. Just having conversations can go um, a long way. Knowing when to ask for help, um, knowing um, that you can, just sort of supporting your friends through the whole process can be really helpful. Um, there are some families out there where periods are stigmatized so much so that um, people can't have open open conversations about it. So um, just have conversations, uh, be supported towards your friends. And I think starting peer chapters is also a really great way of facilitating those conversations. Um, I, when Sarah was talking about um, having a sort of a similar chapter in her high school and kind of being so openly involved with them and how that positively at her experience of menstruation, um, that is in complete contrast to what my experience was like. So I think um, having these organizations around you that um, tell you, hey, it's it's normal to have your period and here's how you deal with it can go a long way in um, making positive change happen and in making young adults feel more comfortable um, and, and feel more positive towards their period. So um, if there's no, not a chapter around you, then start one. It's really a great organization to be a part of. Right. So I feel like, you know, getting involved with, you know, the cause and, you know, helping um, eradicate the stigma surrounding periods and period poverty seems like something that's doable for everybody, even in like small ways, anyone, you know, can get involved. Yeah. And, and I think that all of us know someone in our life who has a period, like whether it's like a sister or your mom, like we all know someone who has a period. And so it's just starting these conversations and like everyone can get involved um, in talking about it because you know, someone who experiences having a period. Absolutely. Um, I think like I um the McMaster chapter, the first year that we were running this club, there was like one guy, it was all girls, but there was this one guy who um, decided to join the chapter and he was at the packing parties and helped us pack all the stuff. And it was just so great to see that, um, and to sort of see that involvement. Um, so I think like Sarah said, it is quite interesting when you think about it, like half of the world has peers. Um, and pretty much everyone knows at least one person who um, is currently menstruating or has menstruated. And um, it's it's just something that's such a pervasive part of her, um, <laughs> of her being that it's just important to kind of have conversations about it, know what it's about, and um, to work towards creating period pop and positivity. Right. And um, for the guys listening to this, what is something that they could do to help, you know, eradicate the stigma? Uh, I guess with my experience, I had someone, um, like we were doing like a fundraiser selling samosas um, for our club and just like talking about period um, poverty. And I had one of my guy friends come up and be like, whoa, this is so cool. Um, it's so great you're doing this. And just like having that conversation and not making like, it'd be like some uncomfortable topic, like that it's just so normal. And um, I think just having more like education starting like, yeah, periods are normal and it's not something that's like icky or uncomfortable. Um, and so I think that like interaction, um, yeah, just like made me feel like, oh, wow. Like it's not just like something um like stereotypically that surrounds like women um but also like men can get involved absolutely 
Um, yeah, just the way that you react towards the word period, it can go a long way in making someone feel um, more comfortable um, with, with experiencing periods. So um, just not saying ew, just not like reacting in a negative way um, or thinking of periods as being icky uh, can really make someone who's actually menstruating um, feel comfortable. Um, and also just like educating yourself, um, getting involved with organizations like periods. Um, these are not just spaces that should be reserved only for women. Um, if you want to donate period products, if you want to pack period products, you should be able to do that. Um, and there should be no embarrassment associated with getting involved um, and with those sort of initiatives. Yeah, and I think if anything, men should wanting should be wanting to be more involved because a lot of times they are the ones that tend to be more grossed out. I don't know if you guys have ever seen like like or you watch prank videos on YouTube but a lot of times like the girl will do like the period prank on like their boyfriend like they got their period or like it was over the bed all over the bed sheet or something and a lot of the time sometimes how these men react is like makes me feel so bad for the woman because they just they're disgusted and they just like they're freaking out yeah or even kind of like the premise like surrounding those videos like yeah it's it's like for fun and like uh obviously I understand it's a prank but it's kind of like a prank implying that like you think that men are going to have some bad reaction um like to their girlfriend having their period and like there's that impliedness of like this is something that's like wrong and that's why it's funny um and yeah I agree like I do feel bad when there's like such like a huge reaction um over something that like quite often just happens. Like you can't really control if you just get your period um, like overnight and you're not wearing any menstrual items. Yeah, every time I see a video, I'm always like, that's wild. I'm like, that's so natural. And I think even to make it worse, like to kind of like when they go out of their way to kind of like make the girl kind of feel embarrassed about something that at the end of the day, she can't control it. I think it's just kind of lame. Yeah, absolutely. There is no reason why anyone should be male. It should be made to feel uncomfortable um, for menstruating. It's just such a natural part uh, of our biology. It's just, um, it, it's it's to me like weird that, that this has ever even come to be a thing. And um, here in the West, I think um, peer poverty is definitely an issue and stigma is definitely an issue. But um, when we look at other places around the world, then you see the actual like negative consequences of having such a stigma in the sense that um, it, it's like there's some very dangerous consequences. For example, in many places around the world, menstrual huts are still a thing where menstruating women will kind of be like banished to this hut um, just outside of the village because um, people don't want to be around them while they're menstruating. And um, these huts are really dangerous because um, there's no like facilities provided for women. So they can like literally starve to death. Um, there's uh, no sort of, um, it, it, there is a danger of being raped um, because you're in this like sort of outhouse from the village and there is um, no protection whatsoever and anyone can come in at any time. Um, and the huts are not cleaned properly, so it's not hygienic. Um, and there's other like quite dangerous practices that continue to persist as a result of that stigma. So um, it's definitely a very dangerous thing and it's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, that's definitely really sad. It's crazy to see how you know how each like culture and each country like reacts to when a woman gets her period it's actually wild mm -hmm, absolutely and I think something that like blows my mind is that like it, despite there being so many diverse cultures around the world um, most of those cultures tend to like consider menstruation as a taboo topic um, it, it's it's interesting to me how um, it, this has to be how it's come to be that way where like cultures around the world have stigmatized menstruation even though like all of those cultures are definitely not related to one another um, but there are some cultures where uh, menstruation is considered a powerful thing um, in some hunter-gatherer societies in Africa that I read about um, they do consider menstruation as being a positive powerful thing and um, it's it's only if that could happen in other places too. Um, but uh, 
I guess it's just about having these conversations, creating organizations like Period, and making sure that we work towards a better future where um, people are not afraid of mentoring. What do you think period poverty will look like in, let's say, five to 10 years time? I think for sure, like, the conversation's happening. Like, I I think in when growing up as a kid, I didn't hear anything kind of surrounding period. But I think we're, we're kind of living more in a generation now where having conversations surrounding period and even the idea of, like, what period poverty is um, – is something that's talked about a lot more. And I hope that in five years that there'll be a lot more just legislative changes and surrounding menstruation and pushing really for like free products um, and having the conversation surrounding period be just so so much more normalized within like at the education system, um, having a lot more advocacy and um, speakers just talking about what like periods are and how um, there's a lack of access to many products um, or even in a really great Netflix documentary um, is called period end of sentence. Um, it was great seeing how like a community was actually making their own period and menstrual items. And this was something that was sustainable supplying like women with jobs um, and just hopefully moving to just like society where like, women don't have to miss out on going to school because of their period. Um, And then specifically within Canada, just having more access to like menstrual items and and not being something that's super taboo. Absolutely. And I think um, not quite, um, and uh, quite recently, actually, uh, New Zealand was um, one of the first countries to announce that they'll be providing free menstrual products for all students. And I think that's a great step in the right direction. And um, with the conversations that we're having right now, um, with the uh, governmental initiatives that are being taken around the world, um, I do hope that there would be a better sort of uh, perception of maturation in the near future and better facilities would be provided to, um, to people who menstruate so that it's not um, something that uh, will we'll keep people behind. Um, there's no reason why uh, women should not be able to attend school just because they're menstruating or should not be able to work because they're menstruating. Um, and like Sarah said, period end of sentence was an amazing documentary. I highly recommend people for people to watch it because it really shows how powerful um, it can be to empower communities um, to create their own menstrual products and to encourage them to do you to utilize these menstrual products. Um, and there's some amazing people um, that are making progress in the right direction. So um, I, I am hopeful for a better future. And I do think in the next five to ten years, um, this issue wouldn't uh, would have made um, this cause would have made some 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 progress, and we would be um, in a more peered positive environment. Yeah, I'll definitely check out that documentary. I love watching documentaries, so I will definitely check that out. Um, my final question is, how do you plan on continuing your efforts after you graduate? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I always think about that a lot, like how can I still advocate for um, like period education and um yeah, and just like destigmatizing what a period is. And I hope to just always be kind of like a part of some organization um, and to, you know, like even just starting initiatives, um, packaging menstrual items, like being open and bold about conversations surrounding period. Um, yeah, and I think that there's always organizations that um, you can be a part of. And so, I think for myself, just continuing and seeing kind of where that goes. But I know that this um, is always something that I want to be a part of, or I know Jacqueline and I both want to go into something within healthcare um, and even being able to, like, let's say we do something within women's health, um, just being able to advocate 
um, for women and continuing to just like be a part of the conversation surrounding menstruation in whatever form that might be either public health or specifically like in the healthcare system. Yep. Absolutely. Um, this is actually like my last semester at Max, so I will be graduating this year. And uh, so I've been thinking a lot about this. And I, I would say um, same thing as Sarah. I've always hoped to be involved with an organization that does work towards um, mental equity. Um, and um, but also, I, I think I'd be interested in, um, like Sarah said, bringing um, this cause to the healthcare field in whatever capacity that I get involved with, health, with the healthcare field in the future. So um, even if it's something like research, um, I think there is a lot of research that needs to be done within this field. Um, and so just getting involved in, um, in sort of different ways of achieving mental equity, whether that's your service or education, research, advocacy, um, I'll always like keep those sort of initiatives at the back of my mind wherever I go. And if I'm at a school where this isn't at a school or in, or in a community where period isn't a thing, I would gladly start a chapter there just to make sure that um, more and more people are involved with this cause and this organization. All right. So. I have a segment on this podcast called Recommendations, and that's where I usually give a recommendation based on the topic that I discuss in that episode. So what would you guys like to recommend to the listeners? It could be a resource, could be a website, could be the Netflix documentary you recommended. Yeah, um, for me, I have loved listening um, to someone named Nadia Okamoto. So she actually founded um, Period. um, And then she has her own company now called August, where she makes much more sustainable and environmentally friendly like period products. Um, And I just love how on TikTok, um, she just advocates for like period like what like um like advocates for destigmatizing periods um and she'll just like post like her actual period blood on tiktok and just talking about menstruation as it's something that's so normal um and so i really love just watching her tiktoks um yeah and just seeing how she's trying to empower menstruators um and normalize just periods and that whole conversation I love her TikTok. I I came to TikTok <laughs> when I was like doing research for this episode, and like, yeah. I was just like I was laughing. I was like, you know what? That's made me feel like so much more like comfortable. Yeah, I know. I kept getting them on my for you page because I think I just kept going back to her page to look at all the TikToks, and then now I was like, okay, I'll follow her. Like I just like look at them so much, anyways. Um, yeah, and even she has a podcast too, and um, she just talks about all different issues surrounding periods as well. And so, yeah, Yeah. it's super, it's super great. Absolutely. I think Nadia Okamoto is great. She, um, just listening to her story of how she founded Period. um, I think she has like a TED talk or um, actually a bunch of talks on YouTube and I'm sure on TikTok as well, where she kind of talks about the process of starting period and what motivated her to start this issue and to start this organization. And um, I think just listening to that story is great as well. It's really empowering. She has a book, Period Power, a manifesto for the menstrual movement. Um, and of course, the Period um, National website um, is a great resource as well. And the, the Period End of Sentence documentary, I think that documentary I highly recommend people to watch it because it's just such an amazing um, sort of example of how much great things can be how many great things can be created by just empowering people to embrace um, menstruation empowering them to sort of make change happen yes I will definitely include your guys's um, recommendations in the um notes of this podcast episode so anyone listening who wants to check those out can do that i quickly just want to say thank you guys for taking the time out to you know do this podcast and educate us on period poverty and ways we can um 
destigmatized periods. Um, do you guys have any last words? Thanks so much for having us. Um, I think it's great having these conversations. And I love that on your podcast, you're just talking um, about these issues that are kind of taboo. And um, I think everyone um, just getting involved in this conversation is just so great. So thanks so much for having us. Yeah, um, thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate having this conversation. I'm so sorry if there's like a lot of noise in the background that you hear, but um, thank you having us. I really appreciated this. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for coming on. So there you have it. I hope you guys were able to, you know, take something away from the conversation. Thanks again to Sarah and Jacqueline for coming on and talking with us. You know, they had a lot of great, you know, insights and a lot of, you know, statistical information to share with us. So that was really great. So for today's quote is, menstruation is the only blood that is not born from violence, yet it is the only one that disgusts you the most. And that is by Maya Schwartz. I thought that was very fitting for today's, you know, conversation. But anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Follow us on the From K to Z podcast page. Link, you know, again, will be in the show notes below. Um, yeah, I definitely have a good episode coming up next week so stay tuned for that and yeah i will talk to you guys next monday